1: is scott myers thanks for being on the show scott
0: hey whitney glad to be here thanks for having me
1: I'm honored to have you on the show. And I know the listeners are going to be excited too, just after hearing your bio, but just tons of experience in this industry and just look forward to getting to know you a little better. But a little about Scott and his company, Kingdom Storage Holdings, has acquired, developed, and converted over 200,000 square feet and over 13,000 units in the self storage space with over $160 million in assets under management nationwide. He also founded self the nation's leading education company that teaches people. How to find, evaluate, finance, and manage self storage facilities through his online seminars, coaching, mastermind, and podcasts. 10% of his company's profits is dedicated toward building houses in Mexico and taking his staff. Partners, students, friends, and family own these all-expense-paid mission trips to experience the benefits of short-term mission trips. Wow. Uh, grateful for that. Uh, I want to ask you about it again at the end, Scott, but just grateful for how you give back. And it's neat that you are able to take your staff and just that it, give them that experience. I'm sure that has paid forward so many times. You know, why don't you give us a little more about your background? Let's dive into self-storage a little bit. Over 2 million square feet, 13,000 units. That's a lot of units it's no doubt about it. So definitely many transactions. But give us a little more about your background and let's jump in.
0: Sure. So I got involved in investing in real estate. I think like most people starting out with single family houses. This is back in 1993. Once I got a job and actually had a little bit of money left over to invest and plan for retirement. Again, buying everything I could get my hands on to learn about the stock market only to find out that most folks, the wealthiest people in Indianapolis, let alone in the world, had created their wealth in real estate, not in the stock market. So then I dove in learning about real estate and buying home study systems and books. And lo and behold, Carlton Sheets uh, was the first home study system I purchased and bought my first rental house, rehabbed it, refinanced it, rented it out, and then bought two more and just continued on that path until we had about 75 houses or so with a mixture of rent to own, As well as a flat-out landlord, just buying to hold on that model to, at some point, sell off half and keep the others uh, debt-free. Well, I didn't see all the passive income and the freedom that Carlton and the others had talked about. And so I thought, well, economies of scale, we'll fix this, and got into apartments. And uh, so we bought several apartments. We had about 420 apartment units throughout central Indiana but it seemed to just kind of compound the problem that was, you know, even though we had management companies in place, uh, that's still the tenant toilet business. There's no magic. You can't wave a magic wand over the challenges. And, you know, we still have to pay for, you know, the repairs and things that needs to be done. And many people say that, you know, I would love to be in real estate if I not for the tenants. And so I thought, well, what alternative is there? And there's either parking lots or self-storage, but you can't really create value and force the appreciation and value in a parking lot like you can in self-storage. And so, as I began to look at the model, I, I visited the self-storage association. They had a meeting up in Chicago, so I drove up and learned as much as I could. But at the time, there really wasn't anybody out there that was really teaching, had written books or was you know coaching or mentoring on self-storage. So I began uh, digging in on my own and bought my first self-storage facility with a, a partner. And then, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. I saw the light and realized that somebody doesn't pay, you can lock them out and uh, sell their stuff to recoup your money. It's virtually recession. Well, I don't want to say proof. It's very recession resistant and inflation resistant because when times are good, people buy more stuff and they need more storage. And when times are bad and we head into a retraction in the economy or recession, like and this will be the third one that I'm going through. We know that self-storage benefits greatly because businesses downsize and individuals downsize and there's a rush for storage. And so for those reasons, we sold off our houses and apartments and then just went full bore into self-storage and along the way, then created a, an education company to teach people how to do this as well. I used to run the Central Indiana Real Estate Investors Association and began holding workshops only to realize that, you know, much like when I was looking to find somebody to mentor from or, or how to learn how to get into business, there really wasn't much out there. And so we created an education company to teach people how to do this as well. And then along the way, we began mentoring and holding seminars and conferences and consulting and then added a a partnering component to that, which allowed us to really leverage taking our techniques and strategies and deploying that through others throughout the country. And that is where the lion's share of our projects come from right now through um, still joint ventures. I speak in and I write for the associations, but the folks that I've taught how to get into the business, they bring deals to us as a wholesale that we buy or partner on. And that has been the greatest cause for our growth. And the reason why we began to learn how to syndicate in the first place is we had a lot of deals and we just needed more equity to be able to take them down.
1: That's a neat transition. I think many of us see the single family model first, you know, then it takes a little bit to realize, wait a minute, I've created a lot more work for myself, but you had 75 different things, but you said you didn't see the freedom I think you
0: expected. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. By the way, love single-family houses and apartments because we were regentrifying gentrifying in certain areas, just taking something and creating value in it. I've been a junker all my life. Did it with bikes and cars and then began with houses and apartments, and that's great. But there's just so many moving parts to that, managing the tenants, managing the managers of our apartment complexes and contractors. And with the eviction laws here, and, and as I talked to landlords throughout the country and most of the rest of the country, the, those are in place to really protect the tenants rather than the business owners. So I thought, gosh, you know, even the best cook in the world can't fix uh, this recipe, which doesn't seem to taste very good. And so that's when I began looking for other aspects uh, to invest in real estate. Because you're right, we all love real estate because we can borrow money to buy it. it. You know, We can force depreciation in value. It's a hard asset that produces income and there's nothing else like it if you can find the right vehicle that that suits you and your market and you're able to surround yourself with a good team to be able to manage it.
1: When you decided to move into multifamily, you got up to like 400 units. That's a pretty big accomplishment in itself. Most people don't get to that size, but what was your method for buying those multifamily units? Were you syndicating then or were those mostly JV or smaller type buildings? What were
0: those? Yeah, those are mostly JVs and bringing in a true partner or two. Mm-hmm. So we weren't syndicating at that point. And so they were smaller complexes. Uh, the largest we had was 72 units, uh, the smallest being, I think, 36. And so we were able to find those through just a network. I had been involved in, in real estate and with a lot of investors. And having run our large group here didn't hurt. We had a big Rolodex of folks. And so we did find one, I believe, through a broker. And then the other three through our network.
1: I'd love for you to elaborate a little more on the thought process behind moving from multifamily to self-storage. Obviously, as the listeners know, know, we have many or hundreds of multifamily personally. The self-storage argument is very, I think, legitimate. And I'm learning more personally even about it myself. You've been on both sides and extremely experienced. So I'd just love to hear you elaborate a little bit on why did you change your focus instead of, say, syndicating larger multifamily and just growing that platform, but to move completely into self-storage?
0: I think, first of all, when I began to look into it, there wasn't a whole lot of folks that were doing it. I also couldn't Mm -hmm. find a lot of information on it. And I think it's because it was one of the best-kept secrets. I mean, the secret's out now, thanks to, well, I guess myself and uh, several others uh, talking about the benefits of self-storage. But there just wasn't much information on it until I began looking into it. But then when you begin to look at the numbers from a business model standpoint again, very, very solid, very recession resistant, as well as inflation resistant. So it's not susceptible to the contraction and expansion of the economy. And again, by the nature of it, I like to spread my risk. And so that's why I got into multifamily, going from single family, slugging it out for a while until you began buying apartment complexes. And spreading that risk across multiple units, but with one loan and one business essentially, and then being able to hire property management companies. I mean, that's where I think most people aspire to get to because it's tough in single family until you get to that place. Well, in apartments, again, still just dealing with that same business model where it felt as if everything and everyone was working against us. People didn't pay. We had to continue to chase them. And we were in decent areas. There were blue collar working class areas, but still folks fall on hard times and things happen in the economy and they're very susceptible. And so to chase that money and go through these periods in which occupancy is down very low and then having to bring folks in to rehab the units over and over again. And our average turn was $1,300 and then going to court only to walk out with a little yellow or pink piece of paper with very little ability to collect on folks, especially if they've lost their job. You know, we just realized that there must be a better way. So when we looked again, at self-storage, very, very, solid and stable. People always need stuff. It works better during a recession because people downsize, yet they can afford a $50 to $75 a month storage unit when they move back home or in with their friends. And if they don't pay, we lock them out and then we sell their goods and we recoup our back rent and our late fees. And then when either we're done with the auction or when somebody just moves out on their own, they're just, they're done with the storage unit, you know rather than a thirteen hundred dollar turn in lost rent and repairs and carpet cleaning and drywall and everything else. I mean, we take a gas blower and blow it out in thirty seconds, and move in the next person that's waiting in line. So for that and many more reasons, we just found that this was to me a more solid, stable, predictable business model.
1: You know, I know in multifamily, single family, either one, you know, people always say, Well, people are always gonna need a place to live. And that's so true. They will always need a place to live, but it sounds like self storage, it's kinda like, Well, this is a better business model because there's not anybody living here. Okay. You know.
0: <laughs> exactly. You're exactly right. And the two they go hand in hand. You know, when you right. look in the market, if there's an apartment going up, our business model is pretty predictable. You know, one in ten households or Seven, roughly seven square foot per capita, you know, we can kind of draw and follow the rings. And if there's a self storage facility going up and you can pretty much guess that there's gonna be subdivisions and apartment complexes going up as well. It's just a very, very predictable business model.
1: Nice. So help our listeners. I know, you know, we got just a few minutes left before we'll move into some other questions, but maybe you can give the listener just a few good steps to take to get to their first self-storage deal. Maybe that's their focus. Obviously, you know, we talk about syndicating a lot and capital raising and, you know, investors and things like that. But, you know, to syndicate that first apartment deal, really what's your thoughts on just a few first steps that are most likely to get somebody their first self-storage deal?
0: Sure. Well, I think like anything else, if you're going to, and we never convince anybody to bring money into a deal with us, but they need to understand that, you know, we're good at our craft. And so that's the first step is you got to get good at your craft. And so that is through education. Now there's some You can learn from going to the associations, perhaps visiting some of the association meetings if they're having those right now within your state. But there's a number of different educational programs out there, coaching, mentoring, and more books on the marketplace now to at least get familiar with the terms. For those that are already investing in and familiar with multifamily, the underwriting in terms of drilling down to an NOI and a capitalization rate. That's all very, very similar. There's just different nuances to the underwriting of a self-storage facility. And obviously, the business model is a little bit different in how to run a facility versus an apartment complex. So going out and getting your first self-storage facility, you you can get a small one. Your money goes a lot further in buying more units in a self-storage facility. So even buying a small one to get your feet wet without syndicating with someone could certainly be a good way to go. Again, do your homework if you're getting into syndicating, I don't suggest that this be your first one and then try to raise capital if you don't have the experience. It may take a long time where you have to have some really good friends and family members that will come along with you rather than going out to a wider pool. So like anything else, no secret sauce. You just kind of learn the asset class that you're asking people to sure. come along with you and partner on.
1: What are one or two... Mistakes that you see people making that are getting in the self-storage business, maybe things that, you know, from your experience of so many thousands of units, you know, that you just wouldn't know when you're first getting in.
0: I think perhaps a product of the industry is the fact that most folks will call it a very simple, predictable business model. And, you know, it's just a bunch of metal boxes on concrete slabs. You know, there's there's nothing, you know, rocket science to it. And it's very easy and very profitable and low loan default rate. You can't go wrong because you have the fact that it's self-storage, you know, working for you. And they treat it as a hobby rather than a business. And they don't really dig in and learn how to run it. They don't hire either a property management company if it's out of state or even if it's a large facility. You can't know the intricacies of a market that's one or two states away by trying to manage it yourself. Also, just the underwriting to begin with. You make money on a stock when you buy it, and it's the same with real estate. So getting really good at or hiring a consultant and somebody to assist in the due diligence just to make sure that you've crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's before you sign on the dotted line. So those are just a few.
1: Nice. So, what's maybe the hardest part of this syndication business for you, whether, you know, in, maybe in a specific stage or getting into the business or even something recently?
0: I think recently, when we think we have a solid offering and we look at the landscape and what similar multifamily apartments, mobile home parks, you know, commercial real estate that is tenant based you know, it was going for in the marketplace. And we put out an offering, we expect it to fill up pretty quickly. And that's not the case right now. There's some folks that are still sitting on cash and we may have good returns from a preferred return standpoint and equity multiples and time frame. We're thinking we're, you know, we ticked all the boxes. But right now there's some folks that are just sitting on some cash or maybe waiting to see. And, and we have more projects that we're working on as a result of the fact that, again, self-storage is so strong and there's a lot of projects out there that we've been pursuing and a lot of folks wanting to invest in it. We're seeing record numbers of folks that are taking down our packages and attending our webinars, but not as many that are pulling the trigger and, on some very solid offerings. So those, I think that may be some of the challenges to make sure that we're, and we're calling and talking to these folks and finding out what their sweet spot is or you know what it is that they may want to see in the next one. And, and again, there doesn't seem to be any secret sauce right now. It's just a fact that I think there's a lot of unknown and there's a little lack of clarity from the investment pool right now that has us scratching our heads a bit. Projects are all still moving forward and investors are very happy, but you know, we don't seem to, I guess we can't get into the heads of all investors to know just exactly what's going to work right now. And, and perhaps we never will.
1: What's a way or how do you prepare for a downturn or you know, maybe like we're experiencing now in the self-storage business, what are some ways that you're hedging against downturn?
0: We've been heavy on the development side of the business because we've had a lack of supply for so long. And the self-storage industry has been in a building phase for the past probably five to seven years or so. But the landscape is still ripe for many other storage opportunities. Our market is really just a three-mile radius. That is what the market is in terms of how we look at demand for a particular site or spot. But we also recognize that Funding is a little tougher on the development projects. The banks have pulled back a little bit, and I think our investors are looking at it the same. So our model is changing and that our existing facilities are filling up. And so we, as long as interest rates stay low, we may be exiting, but we're also looking for other existing facilities where some of the mom and pops, some of the folks that are ready to retire, they may not want to try to weather another recession, or maybe they've had increased competition and lower rates that are looking to sell. We're looking to add more existing, already cash-flowing projects with upside, maybe just some turnarounds to the portfolio. That's been the focus for the past probably 90 days or so, even pre-COVID. And that's what we'll continue to focus on. There's some of these folks also that did buy several years ago and treated this as a hobby and they didn't create enough value and they bought it at a 90% LTV loan. And now they're going to refinance it at 65 to 70 because that's all the banks will do during a recession. And they may be left with no other options other than to come to the closing table with cash or to sell. And so we're poised to take advantage of that and looking at buying those existing facilities.
1: Nice. So what's a way that you've recently improved your business that
0: we could apply to ours? Staffing. We have had the opportunity right now. Again, we don't celebrate a pandemic or a recession, but self-storage, we're in the trauma and transition business. And so naturally, the industry, we do benefit from businesses downsizing and individuals. Unfortunately, the recession that is coming along with it has produced a large pool of very qualified people in uh, real estate and the financial services side of the business. And so as we've been growing and taking on more projects, we've been able to find some very key individuals that we're very fortunate to have that may not have been in the labor pool if we had been looking four months ago. So I think that's it. It's all about, we could talk for hours, probably Whitney, you and I both about staffing and getting the right people on the bus and the right values. So it is. And we've learned over the years that you cannot bend, they may be a rock star on paper, but until we have three and four interviews and personality testing and really date them and find out that they share our core values, we're not going to put them on the bus and they won't have a seat as Jim Collins puts it.
1: Yeah, I would love for us to talk about that further. I know that would help a lot of listeners as well and to learn more about your all's onboarding process and finding people, but hopefully we can do that soon. What's a way right now or the best source for meeting new investors right now?
0: We've been putting out some 506Cs, which allows us to be able to market a little bit differently. We're seeing some results from that, but I think more than anything, it's doing the same things that we've been doing, which is we have our own podcast and being able to be a guest on yours as well as others, and really just doing what we've been doing, putting out articles. We have a lot of information that goes out from the education side of our business, as well as the investing side, being active in forums. And I've always considered myself kind of the policeman or the watchdog of the forums, some of the bigger ones out that everyone's aware of. And there's a lot of free advice out there that people give on self-storage where I have to come back in and say, well, that's not really true. That's not correct. And some things are, "Oh, well, that's illegal. And <laughs> in other instances, just try to sift through the advice that some of the new folks are looking at getting into. And by nature of just doing that and being active in various places to make sure that people are doing things the correct way has been a big draw, a reason why people are drawn to us and wanting to learn more about what we do.
1: What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I
0: don't know that it's cliche or not, but I guess it's just integrity. I mean, you look at the landscape across both the industries that I'm involved in, from you know the educators and the information marketers to investors... Eventually that catches up with you and playing the long game. I never get into real estate and quit my fortune 500 job to end up coming back to that. This is a marathon and especially in the world of today's social media transparency. I mean, you can't slip up too many times, usually once. And I would be out of the education business and the investing business and certainly the syndication business. And so every step of the way, we just don't push the boundaries. We don't push the deals. We are good stewards of our staff, our investors, our students, and everybody that we come into contact with and that has paid dividends. And if something, you know, we don't even dance up to the line of which we may be coloring the truth on a project or anything else, or just even being overly optimistic about something. We take a feasibility study and we beat it up and we'll have them change it if the market we find is actually even worse or the deal is worse. And then we add another buffer and a layer in just to be certain that we are safe, our investors are safe, and that just permeates through all facets of our business. And that shows, I think people can see that and understand it and realize it when you meet with syndicators and other folks you joint venture with and what you see is what you get with us and there's nothing hidden and certainly everything that we say that we do, we better be able to back up.
1: I agree completely and think that's really just having the long game in mind and just being as integrous as possible. I appreciate that very much so. And I want to go ahead and tell the listeners too, Scott and I were talking, he had, his team had put something in his bio or just some things they sent to us just talking about how they believe their success is due to the way they treat their staff and their investors. And I just think that level of integrity just shows and Scott's going to come back and we're going to talk about that a little more in detail. And I think we can all learn so much from his level of success and just how they contribute so much of that to how they treat their staff and their investors. So Scott, I'm looking forward to that. I know the listeners will be... As Well, Why don't you tell us, though, or elaborate a little more on how you like to give back?
0: Early on, my wife and I, I mean, we decided to get into real estate and get out of our corporate jobs so that we could have that that passive income and the freedom to raise our kids. And we homeschooled and we've been able to travel around the country and and be active in their lives. That was a big piece of it. The biggest piece of why we decided to go on this journey, but uh, the second piece is that we realized that this business is a mission field for us and we tithe on our profits in both our education business and our investing business. And, and then we go on mission trips. We take that money and take our staff. We take our family, our friends, coworkers, students, partners, vendors, anybody who wants to go and we build houses. We partner with YWAM, Youth with a Mission and their division called Homes of Hope. And we go to to Mexico and the Dominican Republic, and we'll take anybody along who wants to go and have that experience of a short-term mission trip. We're gone for four days. We build a house in a day and a half, and then we give the keys away to a deserving family and take all those folks along so that they can experience a family-oriented short-term mission trip on our dime. We pay for it. All they have to do is get to the airport in San Diego, and uh, we take care of the rest. And We're on houses uh, 15 and 16 that we'll be building in uh, November. This is truly our way of giving back and been involved with this for a number of years and just absolutely passionate about ending generational poverty, one family and one house at a time.
1: Love that. Love that. And just your willingness to share that and how you give back and taking people with you. I just think that's, it's not just giving to that one family that you're building a house for, but all these families, their experience and getting to go. So that's incredible. Scott, how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you?
0: Sure. Best way is if they want to learn about self-storage investing, go to self-storage And my email address is scott at self-storage And on the passive side of the business, so those that may be interested in looking at some of the projects we have coming up, passivestorageinvesting.com, where they can take a look at and pull down some other free information as well as take a peek at some of our past deals and some of our current offerings.
1: Nice. That's a wrap, Scott. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Wendy. Take care.
1: Don't go yet.